I don't know if, uh, how many people out in Epicor land like to watch the uh, BBC show uh, Call of the Midwife. 12, 12 seasons of having babies. And uh, and I, she asked me, what was I listening to? That was so much better. And I said, it's a security podcast. And I guess it's kind of similar. And she said, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, uh, you both have to be prepared for a breach. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Hey, Jose. How you doing? Doing all right. It is Friday, my favorite day of the week. It's podcasting day. It is podcasting day. We get to, to shoot the breeze and talk. Exactly. So listen, today, uh, this week, I actually got a little bit triggered by a post on the forum. I'm not calling anybody out, but a couple of security things came up on the forum that kind of triggered me. And so I figured that, you know, we could have a little conversation about security. That's been a little bit long overdue, I think, particularly for the Epicor crowd. Um, and I thought that, you know, what better way to do that than to bring our, our favorite security guy and, and cloud guy, uh, Mark Wunzel from uh, uh, PTI Engineer Plastics. He's a business analyst over there. He's been around the Epicor world for a long time now. And he's the guy that always yells at you when you do some security stuff wrong. So I figured we could bring him in and have it yell at us and, uh, in unison about that. Oh, awesome. I've always, <laughs> I've always thought of Mark as the cloud guy. So today he's the security guy. How's it going, Mark? How are you doing? Good, good. And when you're in the cloud, you have to be a security guy, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's one of my uh, one, one of my biggest pet peeves or, or scary thoughts is putting your ERP on the WAN, on the wide area network. Oh, yeah. I just don't like it. No. I know I know everybody's like, oh, you know, cloud, going to the cloud. Epicor is driving everybody to the cloud. Everybody wants to go to yeah. the cloud, and I'm sitting over here clutching to my pearls like, please don't make me do this. I, I don't like it. True. But then again, just open all up the rest stories of the cloud. Are, it's fine. That's true. But all the all the stories I hear of breaches are people's on-prems getting eaten up. So I always sometimes feel a little bit segmented out there than uh, leaving it on-prem. So. Yeah, that's true. I think that to be on-prem, you definitely need to, to have the right skill set and the right tools and the right oh, you yeah. know, approach. Um, there's, you know. When you put it on the cloud, it is, the onus is on them to to protect you. So that takes some of the risk away from you. So yeah. Anyway, so you participated on this this couple of posts this week too, Mark, where we saw you know some people putting some stuff out there that kind of you know made my antenna rise up about some security issues. And I thought you know hey let's have a conversation a little bit about security because you know if we if we think about it you know. ERP owners, ERP administrators like us, you know, usually, you know, we spent several hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was, to buy an ERP system, which means that we have generally millions of dollars and, you know, a ton of information running through our system. So that's a huge cache of information that is valuable to mm -hmm. other people. Uh, and so it makes it a huge target, right? The ERP yes, is usually the much. biggest target that you have in your company. It's your, bigger, it's your bigger, biggest exposure uh, point, right? Um, and I don't know, I just feel like we, you know, we need to have a little bit more, we need to be a little bit more careful out there as, a, as an ERP community as to how we talk about, how we access our data, how we want to reach our data and how we protect our data, how we protect ourselves. Um, so anyways, um, this week actually, I learned a new trick and I thought that we could talk about that a little bit and it's called dynamic data masking. 
Um, and I thought you had brought this up before, Mark. Um, at some point, we had a conversation about it briefly. I think you saw it on a podcast or something like that. Um, but it is pretty neat. So SQL has this built-in um, feature called dynamic data masking. And what it does is it allows you to create a couple of functions uh, for individual fields on individual tables that controls the way the data is displayed to a user based on who the user is. Um, and the beauty of it is it doesn't affect how SQL works and it doesn't affect your joins on your tables. So you can easily dynamically mask almost every field on the database for a given user, give them access to SQL, and they could sit there all day writing SQL queries, SQL queries that work, SQL queries that connect to each other and, and execute and use the, use the indexes and everything. But the data that comes back is, is masked. It's not data that, they, that, would, that would allow them to see um, personally identifiable information. Um, so we started using that actually as Stephen Gould a couple of weeks ago because of uh, a situation we have where we need to be able to demonstrate a part of the system. Um, and it is pretty neat how that works. So I wanted to throw that out there as a kind of the first topic to cover because I feel like as security people and, and, and as ERP people, we feel like we are entitled to access to the entire house, right? Well, we are the ERP guys. Why, why couldn't we see every single table? Why couldn't we see every piece of sure. data? We are trusted, right? IT is a trusted security, or sorry, it's a trusted um, position. Um, but, you know, if you, if you take a step back and you think about it from a holistic standpoint and from a global standpoint, like me as an ARP developer, yes, I do need access to SQL, but there's no reason why I need access to real data, right? And, and again, that reduces your exposure because I could get upset, I could get pissed off and leave the company tomorrow and take with me a whole trove of information that could be valuable to my competitor, that could be valuable to anybody else, right? Um, sure, yep. And so as a trusted person in my position, I have a lot of power. Um, but there is no, you know, at least in SQL anyways, there is no longer a need to say, yes, you can have access to my kingdom. Uh, now you can say, well, you can have access to what looks like my kingdom and what's structured like my kingdom, and you can get data that, that you know, is accurate, but it isn't the data that you can take away from me. It's true, because we've seen a lot Excuse me. of breaches so, lately through developers where they're working not with our internal developers, but somebody farms something out to another company. And Fox News uh, just had a huge one back in May where, you know, their whole contact list was on an open database out there without any protection because they wanted the real data. And so something like this would be really sweet. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's important, you know, and, and, and it's kind of like I'm having, a, I have a hard time with it myself because I'm used to having all that access. But we've had some people from, from our, you know, management team even ask us, you know, do you guys really need to be security managers? Do you guys really need to be having access to the entire ERP system this way? Um, and, and we really had to step back and, and think about it and, and realize that, you know, I can do my job and I can do my job effectively with the right tools without having access to the entire kit and caboodle. Uh, so I think that's a mentality that we need to all kind of start uh, getting on board with, really, because, you know, um, I don't want to be responsible, you know, if I make a mistake or install the wrong piece of software, be responsible for my company's entire database to be sucked out and taken off to, you know, somewhere else. You know, there's a lot of responsibility on you too, right? That's the other thing is like, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want to have to be so vigilant when I do everything else uh, because I do have access to everything. Yep. 
I, I don't know how that would work for something like a cloud system, though. I, I, I assume that, that something like Epico would have to set that up, right? Right. Although and I they, guess there is masking uh, built into Epicor to some extent. To some extent. And they claim uh, that they're not looking at our data either. Uh, I don't know how you can do that, especially when you turn things into support, you know, when they ask for a copy of your database. I don't know how they, you know, if they're running an anonymizing script, which would be cool, but I don't know that they do that. That would be an excellent question to ask. But you're right. There's there's some risk there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, just thinking about uploading database to support, right? How many times have we done that? Uh, and, and I think about it and I shudder a little bit. I'm like, we're taking our private throw of information with all our employee stuff, with all our, you know, business secrets, whatever it is. And we're uploading it to a generic support site somewhere and hoping that it gets treated correctly. Yeah. Um, that's scary, yeah. you know? Um, and it is, it is common practice, uh, not only in Epico, but it's common practice in a lot of ERP systems and things like that that you say, oh, well, let me, you know, let me poke around your system real quick and, and fix yeah. it for you. I do know when um, I was on the cloud that's the last that um, if support needed the data, they had to go through a, a good ticketing system through the cloud people to get it. They didn't, they didn't have logins to our systems. There is a, a good degree of separation there. Yeah. But so there was some tracking. Yeah. Right, it's the last time anyone's going to upload their database to Epicor support. <laughs> I know, but Epicor support's going to get mad at me for this. Um, no, I mean, listen, I'm sure Epicor support takes the precautions they need to take, right? But it's still a scary concept from a from an owner perspective to say, you know, here's my baby. And, I, you know, it's like when you send your kid off to daycare or something, you know, here's my baby, watch it, you know, and you hope you don't get that phone call that something bad happened, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a little scary. So anyways, dynamic data masking, I thought it was a really neat tool. It's freely available. It's built into SQL. And it's compatible with, as far as I can know, everything else. Um, I can kind of show you real quick. I have a, I have an example here of what that looks like in Epicor. So we we set up basically an external BAQ with dynamic data masking. And so here's a here's a screen uh, in Epicor, a query that I just ran, and I'm you know using an external BAQ. And so this is my uh, I think a sales agent table, and you can see that all the names here are are basically gibberish. Right. So I have access to the data. I can run queries. I can tie things together. But when I see the data, it is not data that's identifiable to me. I don't know who my sales agent McName is. Right. Um, so you can think about, you know, payroll information. You can think about all those things that are stored in your ERP system. And you're now letting your, you know, ERP developer guy or worse, a third party consultant come into your system and, and write reports for you. Right. We do that all the time. You know, we have consultants, all, you know, a bunch of them. What, what number are we up to now, Brian? Five or 15 consultants, something like that, that, that help us with our implementation, they help us with our system. And, you know, you're trusting that person to, to not go digging through your stuff. Uh, so you do have tools available. Dynamic data masking is one of them. Um, you know, obviously I haven't tested it thoroughly with Epicor itself. I don't know what would happen if you, if you turn it into the connection string in your Epicor system. What does that look like? Um, I imagine it would work. It would just make Epicor a little confusing to look at. Every screen would, <laughs> would say, you know, yeah. random gibberish at you. Sure. Uh, but from a reporting standpoint in particular and from direct SQL access, I think is a good idea. Uh, because if your security is set up correctly in Epicor, right, and they are logged into Epicor as themselves, then they should have a, a limited, limited access already, right? Because you set up Epicor correctly with security. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that's another good pivot point. Epicor security, right? How do you set up your security at, at Epicor, Mark and Brian? How do, how do we know, how do we disallow somebody from getting access to ABC code? How do we do that every day? Typically, menu security, right? Menu security. That's, that's usually that's that's where we go. Yeah, that's where we go. Yeah. Menu security because it's it makes sense, right? I, you know, yeah. I can't. You know, I just I, I just created a test account. Um, and I didn't want to give him access to ABC code, so I remove the menu security from this guy. And and you know that's secure, right? Or we think it it's, is. It's security it at the client. Right? So I'm just logged into Epicor here. That's right. It's security at the client level. Um, and that's something that a lot of people do not understand. When you remove access through menu security in Epicor, you're not removing access to that data. You're not removing access to that service. You're simply removing access to the screen. You're removing access to the UI. So I have this user here. His user is called test, right? And if you look at his menu, he has no access, nothing. There's nothing in his menu, just an empty folder, right? He can't get to ABC code. He can't get anywhere. But I use that same user's username and password to hit a service endpoint, and I can get ABC code data. And if I change that from ABC code to, say, payroll, I can get payroll data, right? That user has technically no security to access Epicor at all in terms of the client. But because of the way that Epicor was written and the way the security is set up in Epicor, that user has full access to the entire system with very, very little limitations. There's a couple of things they're limited on. Menu security itself is one of them. That's security manager only. Um, I think maybe BAQs are limited that way. But outside of some of the technical aspects and system administration, this user, this test user that has no access to Epicor client has access to the entire system via the REST API endpoints, the web service endpoints, um, and all those things. And, and, and I don't, I'm not sure that that's something that a lot of people realize. And even I don't realize that, you know, I'm going through the motions, right? We're, we're taking away menu security all the time. Well, he can't get to that screen. Okay, sure. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit, uh, intimidating, I think. And, I, and the question is, how do we fix that? Um, yeah, it's not easy. It's, you know. uh, field security and service security, right? And BAQ yeah. security. Yeah. yeah. And BAQ security. Yeah. So this, this user also has access to running any BAQ they want through those services, right? So how many of us have written BAQs that contain payroll data? How many of us have written BAQs that contain employee private information to write reports that are only for management? Well, guess what? Test user has access to all that, even though you don't think they do. Yeah. And this is why it scares me so much that people put their ERP on the WAN, on the internet. Because, you know, even people like us who have been doing this for a long time, we don't, under, we don't fully understand the capabilities and the ramifications of, of some of this setup. Um, so that's something that we need to keep in mind as a community and, and in general, you know, good practice to set up security correctly. Um, and Epicor has done leaps and bounds recently to kind of fix some of that too, right? They introduced the API key system, they introduced the scoping systems, um, and that definitely has reduced some of that footprint, but it has to be set up correctly. Right. There was something recently on the forum that somebody posted about a similar problem with BAQs. Um, who was it, Mark? Do you remember? I thought it was Jacqueline. Uh, and she was Jacqueline, saying that. Right. That was Jacqueline. Yeah. She was saying, hey, um, how do I secure the BAQ 
data because they were putting a, a BAQ widget. You know, someone just took the widget for something that was sensitive, dropped it on their thing, and there it was. And didn't realize that there was a, a menu secure, or sorry, a security ID on BAQs that you can't protect it with, but you have to know to do it. And it's default again. This, you know, like like you know, uh, Mark and I listen to to the same podcast, Security Now, and he he always says the tyranny of the default, right? The default behavior is no security on that BAQ, right? And that's yep. because it is the default behavior. We just don't, you know, we just breeze right through it because it doesn't prompt you, right? The right approach would be make a new BAQ. The first question it should ask you is, what's the security ID on this? Who should have access to this? Or it should start out as no access, right? You get access to it because it's your BAQ, nobody else does. And then you have to explicitly grant access to specific security groups or things like that. But that's not the way that it starts out, right? The default behavior is yeah. anybody can, anybody can. Um, so, that's the implementation yeah, that's, guru. Uh, <laughs> Brian would agree, you probably want to start it open and lock it down, otherwise you may <laughs> never get started. That's right. Yeah, we had a fun project where we started using REST for reporting services and pulling data. And I was looking at this and I'm like, well, anybody can run anything from here, right? Just the way you guys demonstrated that. And so we went in and put process security all over the place and we put BAQ security um, and created a few accounts to be used for reporting and things like that. But yeah, it was fun. And going through that and putting process security on everybody's account is really like, we had a lot of menu security. It was complex, right? And to go through all that and then repeat that through process, that was, you know, not not too much fun, but we did it. So yeah, yeah, just chip away at it. But it's important to know that you that you should protect those processes and the data and this data masking function is pretty pretty slick on the back end as well. Yeah, and, and you know, and maybe a suggestion or an idea we can put out there for Epicor is that you know when you take away menu security by default, or it should automatically figure out the related mm. business objects and take away and take mm. away access to those business objects, right? If I say no idea. ABC code, well, the ABC code service, right? The ABC code service that's available and usable inside that screen. Well, that you take, you, you lose that away. You lose that also rather. Um, now, you know, I'm sure that seems sounds simpler than it is. And, and I don't even know that Epicor knows what services are available on every screen because, you know, it is a massive system. Um, but there's a lot of those things that I think need to be taken into account before you put your ERP on the internet. Um, uh, you know, again, Epicor does Epicor Cloud all the time, and, and and they are on the open internet. You know, and and I haven't I haven't really been exposed too much to that. Uh, I don't know how they do the security. I don't know how much they do with things like you know, uh, service endpoint security and field security and things like that. But I imagine that, and I hope that they're taking some of that stuff into account. Yeah, the must password be, right? for, for sure for things sure. Like... and that you still need credentials though you can't just call a rest endpoint without a, a username and password right. so at least there's that protection and we know that yeah. they force uh https on all calls so at least everything is you know right. credentials are not going over Protected. the wire in the clear right. so that's good news um for people in the cloud but you're right yeah. if somebody coughs up their credentials if somebody set up a phishing operation to to grant them, or if they reuse their credentials that are same as something else, that would never happen. But if they did, uh, never. Yeah, you you could uh, open up yourself to some to some hurt that way as well. To some pain, yeah. And the thing is, like, all you need is a little bit of knowledge of what Epicor is or how Epicor works to 
to kind of get a you know get get a lot more access than you that you were intended to get. Um, and you know we usually kind of think about you know the the average Joe user who doesn't understand this stuff. They won't. That's fine. Like menu security is perfectly fine for average Joe. But we're not really talking about that guy, right? We're talking about a malicious guy who is intent on getting ransom from your company, right? Or or somebody like that, or a, or a, or an employee who's upset and leaves, and and again, kind of can cause some damage by giving away a simple password. Even though you change your admin password and you change your manager password and all those things, you know, an employee leaves and he's disgruntled and posts online somewhere a username and password they know for a test account even, right? How many of us have test accounts in our system? We have test accounts in the system all the time, right? Do we make sure that those passwords are secure? Sure, right? It's the reality of it is people don't, right? When I create a test yeah. account, the password is usually test, right? It isn't on this one, so don't try it. But my point is that usually when when you know we're doing something quick, oh, let's test this real quick. I need an account. Test, test, test one, two, three, right? And then you, yep. you go about your business and you leave that account in the system. And he just sits there. Nobody uses it. Nobody knows the password till somebody does. Yeah. And now you've exposed your entire ERP system to the entire world. Yeah. Now, a funny, uh, funny thing about the cloud that they have is you could set up a, an account that expires and say, this person can have mm -hmm. this. And then on this date, it automatically goes away. So you, it's easy to set up uh, a, a username and password for a support person and say, but after this date, it automatically does that. But it's only in the cloud. Yeah. Why don't they uh, offer that for on-prem people? That's that really should be a feature that's rolled out everywhere. That's a nice, yeah. nice feature. Yeah, and I wonder if you can use the API key slash access scope for something like that because API keys can expire. Sure. Um, and you can set an access scope directly on a user account. Um, so I'm wondering if you can do a combination of that. But yeah, you're right. It would be nice if you had a way to just say expire this account in 15 days as a yep. whole, right? The account yep. expires, no more. Because you could say the password expires in 15 days, but all that does is prompt them to change the password. It doesn't actually lock them out of the system. Yeah, that's correct. Where this actually does disable um, the person. This actually disabled the account, yeah, no. So that would be a good feature to ask, you know, again, another idea we can put out there to say, hey, Epicor, you know, that feature you already wrote anyways, you wrote it for the, for the cloud, make that available for on-prem. We should be able to say this account is valid for a certain period of time. And some of this goes away a little bit when you go to things like Azure, um, like, you know, Azure authentication or IDP, yes. right? Because then that authentication now takes place in an external system. Right. Yes. Um, and that external system usually has a lot better management of, of security and, and things like, you know, uh, second factor authentication, which, again, you should have second factor on your ERP system. I know it's annoying, but having second factor in your ERP system will save you a little trouble in that you can only really do that if you go through something like Azure AD or Epic or IDP. Um, but what that does is it basically removes the authentication portion of of logging into your ERP system um, from your authorization, from your access, right? So you have now uh, a little bit of a disparate system there. And you sure. can actually and set you, the you password have... in Epicor to some gigantic string and, and they'll yeah. never be able to log in using basic authentication. That's right. And with things Let like Azure. Oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
Go ahead. So from an, imp from an implementation perspective, what would be, you know, uh, some of the best practices, some guidance in, you know, setting up a new system or just hearing this podcast and saying, oh, no, I've never done any of this, which thankfully I have you, Jose, so it's all done already. Um, but what would you guys <laughs> recommend to the user community out there who's listening to this going, hmm, I haven't really done much of this. Where should they start and where do you guys recommend that they start to work through? Well, from a zero trust standpoint, the first thing you always want to do is identify what's most important. So when you ever watch a presidential motorcade go by, which car has the most people around it? The one with the president in it. And as you right. get further the away from your right. the most important things, you could put less attention on it. You could put guards facing away. Uh, that doesn't really matter. So your GL, your, um, your employee database, your, your PII, all that stuff work on, you know, if you're going to have to do field security, go there first. If you're going to have to do method security, go to those functions that are most important, your financials, uh, your, your employee personal identifiable information, that kind of stuff. Other, if you try to do it all, you'll never get done. That's good advice. Yeah, I like that. I mean, start, you know, start smart, start with your, like, like Mark said, your most important aspects and then work your way out, you know. Um, that's, that's a really good approach. And in terms of learning, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot, you know, they always have these this positions that, you know, the ERP administrator, and you're supposed to know everything there is to know. Uh, that, that really is, a, you know, it's not a real, realistic approach. Nobody, nobody can be an expert in security, an ERP, and database administrator, and developer, and a business expert, and process implementation expert, and write BAQs, and write SSRS reports, and do all those things and do them all well, right? Yeah. You can have generalist, generalists, and I think, unless you're part, <laughs> that's right. No, but you can, you can have generalists, right? Who, who know a little bit of every area, and then you have specialists, right? And, and depending on the size of your company, you may not be able to afford to hire six specialists to run your ERP system. And that's realistic, right? Most companies cannot afford six people you know, a security a security a, a guy, a DBA, an ERP administrator, and an implementation guy, and then a report writer and a BAQ, right? You, most companies cannot afford that. That's expensive. That's very expensive. So you got to, again, figure out what's more important. Get that guy taken care of. And then you can bring in outside help, consultants. You can get some education, you know, go to the cloud. If you cannot afford those six guys, perhaps your best approach is to outsource the entire thing to a large company whose entire job is to do that, right? And that is move your ERP to the cloud. Now you took away your DBA because you don't need one, right? The DBA is in the cloud. Uh, you took away your security guy who's taking care of all the patches and all the breach detection and all the intrusion detection stuff. That guy is sitting over there in, in the Epicor payroll, right? And so now you really only need somebody to help you implement, which can be an outside consultant. And then maybe an internal person who can do BAQs and, and some minor stuff like that. And then somebody who can manage the Epicor ERP system uh, who has a lot more narrow field of, field of knowledge. So that's, that's really the upside of the cloud. And, and Mark is really the, 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 you know, the biggest cheerleader for the cloud. And I, and I do agree the cloud is the right approach for, some, for, most, for a lot of people. Uh, but that's really a great uh, advantage of the cloud is that you outsource those things out and you don't have to pay for them. Yeah. And kind to be of, fair, kind of up into that single monthly fee. Yeah. And to be fair, even as a cloud advocate, uh, there's it's a shared responsibility model with security. So um, 
Epicor is not going to do passwords for you and menu setup for you for security. That's still going to fall on the company and you still right. have to take right. care of that. But you're right. As far as your networking and things like that, you know, the things that go to the cloud, they take care of, but you still have some responsibility that you have to maintain. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that responsibility is always going to be shared. Um, you know, again, all it takes is the weakest link. All it takes is a user to have a bad password. Yeah. And yep. then the whole house is out the door, right? Even if they're yep. not a, even even if they're not somebody who has a high security clearance in your company, if your setup was not done correctly, you know your test one two three password just got out, the entire system is gone. Um, even right. though you didn't, you know, even though your manager account didn't get hacked, Brian knows this. But when I got hired here, the first thing I did was change the manager password and give it to nobody, right? And I said nope. Because we, we used to share the manager account. Everybody does that, right? How many of you used to have manager manager as your username and password, right? I bet <laughs> yeah. you, people listening to this right now, I bet you there's at least I bet you. a lot of you who are going to go, I do, right? Manager manager. When I was a consultant at, uh, at Success and I would, I would get credentials to log into places, 90% of the time I didn't ask for my Epicor account because I didn't need to, right? They would give me VPN access or they would give me IDP access. And I would double click on the icon and go manager, manager. And eight out of 10 times, I would just right through the door, right? Um, but your manager, manager account doesn't have to be the one to get out for it to be a huge breach of your system. It could be the lowest, you know, the, the least security account. Um, if you didn't set it up correctly, that least security account could really sure. affect you. Or the um, SA password on your SQL database you is set to Epicor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The SA password, you know, it's another one. You know, SA password said to Epicor, or SA said to SA. That's my favorite, SASA. That's a very, you know, popular one. I'm cringing um, over here. You know, hey, you know, another good, good point is, you know, when you set up your Epicor on-premise, when you do set up your Epicor on-premise, one of the things that you do is you go and you type in your username, your SQL username and password into the Epicor admin console. Guess what? That's stored in plain text in a file in, in your server, in a configuration file. So if some if that server gets breached, guess what? You just breached your database. So now even if your database is doing something like uh, rest, uh, what restful encryption, encrypt, encrypted at rest, it doesn't matter. You just gave it the keys to the kingdom in a text file, right? So again, there's a million like your security footprint. You know the the exposure footprint for something like an ERP system is you know gigantic, right? It's this big. So like Mark said, you have to start small, but there's a lot of little things that you can do that can make a big difference. You can, you know, change that username and password in your in your database that you gave to Epicor, use Windows authentication. Just doing that little step removes a lot of um, a lot of exposure there because there is no password to go read. There's no password to go get. Somebody has to physically get into your account in Windows. And again, if you make it a Windows account that only has access to that SQL box and only can be used by Epic or only by that IP. You can do exactly things right. like you tie the, the authentication in Azure to a specific IP address. And so they can't, nobody can authenticate into that account except from that machine at that time. You are removing a lot of layers of exposure there. Exactly. Um, yeah, anyway, so I don't know. Security is one of the things that just kind of really triggers me. And so <laughs> I apologize for ranting. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do a separate show on ransomware and preventing that. The security risks there. I mean, that, that would warrant a separate episode. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 we've heard some sad stories about Epicor servers, the on-prem being encrypted. Yeah. 
So I know we gave a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, problems, but no solutions here. <laughs> you know, some there's a couple solutions. of solutions, right? You can do proxying, right? There's some solutions, but you can do proxying. So if you want to get access to your ERP data outside your system into the WAN, you can proxy those requests through something like an Azure function. Or like uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron Mooring just posted a, a little uh, piece of code the other day that does exactly that, right? It is a middleware piece of software that sits in your um, DMZ and it does a proxy call back to Epicor, but it, it limits your footprint of what's available in yep. the wide area network, right? It, it You only expose the one thing you want. So in his little program, he only wanted to expose one BAQ, right? Well, great. Your, your middleware has access through uh, API key, through scope, through a, through a specific account that is, that is locked down to that scope and that API key. It has access to that one BAQ. And then on yeah. top of that, you have a, another API key that you need to access that middleware. So now you basically have taken you know, the entirety of Epicor away from that surface. You've given them one BAQ yeah. and two different layers of authentication. Uh, so even if somebody gets a hold of that API key and they can grab and, and, and get into that server and somehow run that BAQ and extract the data, all they will ever get is that one BAQ, right? They won't be able to run anything else. They won't be able to extract additional information out of your system. They won't be able to you know, log into your SQL database. They won't even know necessarily what kind of system you're running because it's just a, a REST endpoint that returns some data. It doesn't tell you what it is or what it isn't. You can't say, well, this is an Epicor system. Um, like, all I know is that I ran a, an Epicor endpoint and I stumbled into an API key and a couple of usernames and I got back a bunch of gibberish, gibberish data. Not really sure what system that is, right? So it, it gives you anonymity. It gives you, it removes you a little bit from, from that exposure and it takes away that ERP system from being sitting out there on the internet with the whole entire world knocking on it. Yeah, um, it's a great architecture. You can do things like, yeah, it is. It, it is really great. Uh, we, you know, we use that in Stephen Google the same way. You know, we have a portal out there, and that portal again it goes through a proxy. So there's a very specific number of requests that can come through. And we go a little step further. We also do um, uh, escalation of defenses. So if you put in the wrong username and password or the wrong API key more than a certain number of times, then you get put into a database that says mm, you can't try that again for 30 for 30 seconds. And if you do it again, it doubles up and it goes to 60 seconds and 120 and so on and so forth. And so basically, and all it is is again, through that same middleware system in Azure, you can say, hey, if the response from my server is a 401, which is an unauthorized request, take note of that IP address, take note of that source. And if you see that more than X number of times, I want you to stop the request from coming through. So now you're basically sitting there with a shield and just blocking all the requests coming through. You can you can sit there and pound your username and password a million times into that server. It'll never reach your Epicor, right? Because you have now been blocked at the firewall level or even at the cloud level. Uh, you have been blocked from accessing the system. Um, so and there's a lot of things you can do and they're not podcast. expensive, they're not difficult. Yeah, uh, one of the mm -hmm. podcasts I listen to is called Risky Biz. To, from Australia, it's very good. And they were talking about how uh, people like, uh, there's now a standard and the companies haven't gotten there yet, but if I'm getting a lot of 401s in my application, they're gonna tell the identity provider. So not only are you gonna protect your Epicor, but it's gonna say, this user ID and password's out. So start protecting 365, start protecting your SAPs, you know, 
your other assets. It's, they're going to start to talk to each other. So that signal becomes more prominent and you can do more reactive things on it. Not just block this one API anymore. Just let them know, hey, something crazy is going on here. So it's very cool. No, that is that is really cool. I mean, just thinking about the implications there, if you're doing Azure AD, then you cover basically all your Microsoft stack, right? And if you're in an enterprise and you're running Epicor, you're a Microsoft stack shop usually, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're hitting that 401 and Azure detects that and tells your, your IDP provider, which is Azure, that this is happening, guess what? Your Office 365 just went on the, just went protected. Your Active Directory just went protected. Now that person maybe can't log into their own Windows account, right? Because that got knocked out and so you have a, a huge protection level there when you're using a third-party identity provider same thing goes with idp at epicor right we have idp at epicor that we use for some of, for uh, epic care and for um the uh, epic web and we use it for the the new automation studio stuff that's all through idp right so again if they detect that somebody's pounding on my idp session that protects a bunch of stuff for me if they they yep. use the same model so that's really great that that they're starting to implement those things so it's basically a single a single point that can detect those attacks and kind of shield you from those that's that's really cool and that's the beauty of having again an authentication system and then an authorization and, and that's a little bit of a difference like people don't realize that a username and password uh isn't really enough right for security purposes, you have two things that you need to do. You need to authenticate, and that means establish who you are to the system. So that, that says, I am Mark, and this is my password, and this is who I am, right? That establishes you who you are, that authenticates you to the system. But then there's a whole side of it that's authorization. What is Mark allowed to access in this context? Right, and, and that, that those two things can be separated. So you can have Mark with a username and password, but Mark can have access to this today and this tomorrow and this the day after, and they can be different. You know, they can be changing constantly what that person has access to, without necessarily having to take away or change their username and password or who they are. Um, and so, it's the IDP systems that, that that everybody's kind of turned into right now do make a nice uh, change to that. And, and the new system that's coming into play, the passkeys um, from Fido. Um, it's going to be even better uh, at doing yes. that. And that's something we can talk about later, but it's a yeah. pretty neat system that allows you to authenticate without yeah. passwords. Yeah, and you, and you bring up the good point about context. Context of when I'm sitting in Michigan is different than when I'm sitting in Iran. If I'm sitting with a registered device that my company knows about versus one I'm not, or you know, a time of day, day of week, you know, Mark's usually not here at this time, as why is he trying to run the payroll file. You, you have a lot more to work with now talking and you could communicate that information to your IDP and you get a lot better protection. Yep. Yep. Context is huge. I mean, we have that here too. We all the time I get an email from my IT guys like, are you in Washington? You know, I'm like, well, actually I am, you know, but um, that's the nice thing. It's like, if you have a context aware system that knows exactly where you were, you know, things like impossible travel is another one that we see yeah. a lot, right? Well, Mark yep. just logged in in New Jersey and then 30 minutes later, he logged in in Virginia. He's like, mm, I don't know, that highway is not that quick, right? You can't make that trip. Traffic is pretty bad. You cannot make that trip in, in 30 minutes. So either Mark's on a VPN or someone's got his account. And so at that point that, again, you take that context and you say, nope. You know, normally authorization is there, but because of the context, that authorization is gone. So Mark's username and password is still correct, but now Mark doesn't have access to the email that he used to, right? 
And, and maybe that pisses Mark off, but guess what? That just may have saved the company a million dollars in ransom. It's worth it. Right? So it's definitely with, worth it. So with all my travel, I keep tripping all those alarms. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Mark, you know, Brian trips that stuff all the time um, because, Mark, you know, Brian's going all over the country implementing our stuff. And, and that's fine, right? And again, and there's a balance there. You don't, you know, Brian is constantly traveling. So Brian's constantly tripping those things. So when an email comes through that says Brian logged in from China, everybody's like, yeah, whatever. Right. And so that becomes a problem because then it becomes the whole the boy who, who cry wolf. Right. If you're constantly tripping those those things, your context is getting out of whack, um, then people are going to start ignoring it. It's like when everybody gets a message in the screen and they just go, OK, OK, OK. Eventually, that message becomes invisible. My authenticator um, so app sure. goes crazy when I'm traveling. So, yeah, yeah. No, they're always asking me to re-authenticate. Yeah. So you yeah. have to but be if aware you're, of if you're logging things. in with your. Yeah. Uh, with your YubiKey everywhere, then the context changes. And so then you can get rid of some of those uh, false alarms. Yep. 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 Second factor, right? Something you have, right? That's, you know, YubiKey is a, it's a great example. For those of you who are not aware, it's a little USB token that has a built-in uh, key generation. It's really neat. They're pretty cheap. You can get them anywhere. And they're compatible with almost anything, including Azure. Um, and the nice thing about them is that they are—they become a second factor, and it is something you have. It does—it is no longer something you know. It cannot get away from you the same way that your passwords can, or even your authenticator that we all use on our phone, right? Somebody can clone your phone, uh, your SIM can be cloned pretty easily, and then they can get your text messages, and now your authenticator might as well be a, a paperweight. With something like a YubiKey, it's in Mark's keychain. So unless you're gonna planning on, you know, pickpocketing Mark. It's going to be really tough to get a hold of a YubiKey and his username and password at the same time. So having a second factor that is a physical token uh, or a biometric is really a lot better than having something like a text message come through your phone. Um, and again, it's not inconvenient. You know, when when the thing prompts you for the stuff, you shove the YubiKey into the USB port and off to the races. They even have one with Bluetooth on it and a little button, right? So again, same yep. thing. You're logging into Epicor and it goes, oh, I press the button in your YubiKey and you go click. And then now you're logged in, right? But you prove that you are Mark and that you are actually Mark. And then on top of that, you have a different context now because now it comes in with more authority. It comes in saying, hey, that's really Mark because he's got his keychain right. with him. So we know it's him. And there was so a dad joke a, that came with deal. it. It makes, a, it makes a big difference. Yeah. What's that? There, no, there was a dad joke and that's how they knew it was really Mark. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, we know you're contacts. famous for dad jokes, and we were waiting to get to that. We were uh, we were going to ask you if you have like a joke of the day for us. By the well, way, well, not so much a dad joke, but a dad joke story. My uh, my wife, I don't know if, uh, how many people out in Epicor Land like to watch the uh, BBC show uh, Call of the Midwife. I don't know. It's about um, okay. Nun, oh, it's about nuns uh, who help women have babies. It's literally a, a whole season 12, 12 seasons of having babies. And, uh, and I, wow. she asked me, what was I listening to? That was so much better. And I said, it's a security podcast. And I guess it's kind of similar. And she said, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, uh, you both have to be prepared for a breach. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that, that went over well. <laughs> she just, just eye roll. You have to be prepared for a breach. Yeah, and I, and I said this before at, uh, at Insights when I did a, a talk about uh, about our ransomware incident. And I said, you know, it's not about 
it's not about if you get breached, but it is about when, right? It, yes. it is nearly impossible. Uh, hell, I will say it, it is impossible to be absolutely protected. Unless you unplug yeah. all your computers, then, then I guess that's, you know, fine, right? But if you have an active connection to the internet anywhere, you are going to get breached. The question is how much are they going to get and how are you going to recover? Um, yeah. And what they should not get is your ERP system, hopefully. Um, I shouldn't get anything else either, but again, yeah. you need to have a, a, a pre uh, be prepared, and you have got to have insurance. Ransomware insurance is a need; it is not a want. You know, if you do, if your company is not paying for ransomware insurance, that is foolish at this point. Yeah, uh, with the security uh, nightmare that we're living in. Yeah, and it's getting more expensive. Well, anyways, so if you're not doing the basics. It's yeah. going to be very expensive insurance. Yeah. So it's like driving when you're 18. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> that's right. It's actually, actually speaking of, I just got my kid. Uh, my kid just got a permit, and I put I put I put him on my insurance, and uh, whew, Ooh. that was uh, that was painful. Yes. I was like, so when are you going to get a job exactly? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been fun teaching a teenager how to drive. Is is about as nerve wracking as putting your ERP on the cloud. Um, so it's been fun sitting on the car like this and just keeping my hands to myself and my feet to myself and just hoping that I'm not going to hit anything and trying to keep calm, right? That's the other thing. You can't yeah. scream. Yeah. You know, we had an incident yesterday. We were coming home and they were driving and, and, and then the light turned yellow. And it was one of those points where the light turns yellow and you got to make a choice, right? You can either go or you got to stop, but you got to make a choice. And this child decided to just coast. There was no stopping, but there was also no acceleration. And I'm sitting there like, like you're going to make a, just stop, 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 stop. You know, and like freaked him out, slammed on the brake. We all like went like this. And I was like, you have got to make a choice, child. You cannot coast. It was 15 miles an hour coasting through a yellow light. I was like, that's not good. You're going to get a smash. So anyways. Hire someone to teach your kid to drive. It's good, less. good luck with that. Other thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get there, Brian. Don't worry. I know. <laughs> Tomorrow's problem. Tomorrow's problem. That's right. Tomorrow's problem. Yeah. Anyways, I think we gave people a lot to think about, and we probably bummed them out a little bit. So <laughs> I, think we, uh, I think we could probably wrap it up here. Unless you got any more dad jokes you want to share with us, Mark. No, I think that's enough. I don't want to overdo it. I think that's enough. Don't want to overdo. Don't want to overdo. Uh, overstay your welcome. Well, listen. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, hopefully, this was entertaining at least. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll keep you know harassing people about security on the forum, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And hopefully, everyone doesn't get too mad at us for exposing a bunch of potential <laughs> issues that we know about. Epicor didn't do anything wrong, right? It's all about the setup. You set it up correctly. It uh, is. The tools are the tools are there. knowing how. No, you know. The tools are there. You just have to use them. And, and that's the problem, right? Getting educated. So hopefully this gave you a little bit of, a, of an education. And uh, hopefully it was entertaining. So see you all next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks, guys. We're on the mission. We should that we can't just help you. Join the team so we can join the super epic crew. Epic crew can be so scary. BPS can make you wary. But I saw the forum at the answer back in February. Someone knew it. Right through it, dashboards, BAQs, tips and tricks, enable for 
brought 